Yes, Andrian and Neil deGrasse Tyson and everybody are in the house. I was a was a fan of the original Cosmos, and and I I think it's an understatement to say there's probably not a better time for this show to be reintroduced. What's the overarching conflict of this series? Because you know it's been very dramatic. These every episode has been very dramatic. Drama depends on conflict. So is science the hero of the series? And, and if science is the hero, is there a villain? And if so, who or what is it? We have heroes in this season, as before, who come up against governments and other kinds of institutions and who really stand up for what's true. Some of them are willing to die for what's true, but none of them are willing to kill for what's true, and that's where the rubber meets the road, is that kind of the courage of the scientists uh, and the stories that we tell about them, and the fact that what they've given us so that we can move out into the cosmos and begin to know a little bit about it. What are the lessons of science fiction writing for telling this kind of science fact story? Really the only difference is you can't make crap up on cosmos. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I kind of feel like my 15 years on Star Trek prepared me for just one season of Cosmos. Speaking of space travel television, Seth, you're, you're on one of those shows. <laughs> um, what kind of feedback are you getting on Cosmos from your fans of the Orville? And how about the overlap between those two kind, the you two know, kinds of fans? There, there, there seems to be a lot of overlap. And, you know, it was not lost on me that, that you know, I would hear stories about engineers or astrophysicists or pilots, you know, people who went into certain fields because of the original Star Trek and other shows like that, because they were, they were excited. And there's nothing like that now. I mean, cos we, thank God for Cosmos. Um, but... Thank God. Ironically. Thank um, God. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> yeah, just checking on that. Tell, tell us about the difference between producing rigorous nonfiction like this versus the fiction that you normally do. It's a luxury for the Orville, too, because the team, the Cosmos offices are literally right, they're two doors down. So we share a lot. if we have a question about anything, you know, I'll walk into Annie's office or give Neil a call and say, hey, can a terrestrial planet have rings? You know, stuff like that. I got a text in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a shot, okay, in the middle of a, of a studio uh, from this guy about a planet orbiting, uh, an exoplanet orbiting another star. And so I, I guess we're just your extended encyclopedia for your show. <laughs> I, I'm in New York. I get a phone call from Seth. Hey, Neil, you, can, you, you available for lunch? I said, well, sure, I really wasn't, but I cleared it out for him because he came through town. So we have lunch. He asked me 20 questions about the Big Bang. And I said, oh, he's a curious guy, and I love him because he likes science. Later on, I watch an episode of Family Guy, and Stewie's time machine goes back to before the Big Bang. And then at the end, it says, science consultant, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> So, so, uh, what I'm saying, I'm there for the artists when they need me. <laughs> All right, let's do a little point-counterpoint. Who, who wants to volunteer to make the argument for sending humans into space? One person raise their hands on our panel. There's one particular human I'd like to send into space. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's our moral obligation to ec ecosystems that are alien to us. There are five categories of worlds, according to the NASA conventions uh, and the International Space Agency conventions on, you know, the worlds that you can go to, for instance, it was possible to crash Cassini into uh, Saturn because uh, it was deemed a category one world, a category one world in which whatever conceivable microbes, tardigrades that could have, you know, still <clears throat> been on the spacecraft uh, would have been destroyed before they could do any harm. And it was unlikely that there was any life form there that it could disturb. But then there are category five worlds. The reason that Cassini had to be destroyed was because there was a category five moon, very too close, which if very tiny odds, Cassini had crashed into uh, Enceladus. Enceladus? Uh, any, yeah, sure, yeah. Enceladus, yeah. Um, then it would have been, and then that would have been a violation of these conventions. I can't resist uh, adding that it was Carl who was responsible for the quarantine on the Apollo mission. And all the astronauts really hated him for that reason. Because <laughs> when they came home, they had to sit in this kind of FEMA trailer for like three weeks or two weeks before they could be reunited with their families. Um, but Carl was extremely conservative in this area. He really believed that there, our knowledge was so limited that we should err on the side of the most extreme caution. So this is the time we would like to go to questions from the audience. Uh, over here. Uh, Dr. Tyson and Mr. McFarland, as an educator, I'm on the front lines trying to get students to uh, well, care about Wait, science. Wait, you're an educator. <laughs> 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 like In daily, I'm fighting battles where students tell me it's not important to read or that their parents have said, and this is one that is driving me nuts, uh, that the earth is flat. And when students go home and they're in a household for 16 hours, that they're not in the classroom or not educating, and it's not important, your shows are important and Cosmo's important and they get shown. What else can I do? I think as an educator, what you need to think of is not only what body of information are you transferring to your students. Information is good, but it is only a fraction of what is ultimately most important to a person. What's most important to a person is training them how to think. Not what to think, but how to think. If you don't know how to think, how data become information and how information becomes knowledge, and how knowledge becomes wisdom, that arc is something that I don't think is taught in school because you're handed a syllabus by a county board and they say, have them learn this and then have them regurgitate it back, then we deem them educated. Well, in fact, if they learned nothing but how to think, then when they graduate, they become lifelong learners and they'll learn much more than you could have ever taught them in the first place. <laughs> Cosmos Possible World is a, is, is a blast of hope every one of these episodes, all 13 of them, where you can say, wow, science can do that. Uh, wise applications of science can do even more. 
That's, that's, that's how we see this. I want to thank Jason Clark, Brandon Brock, Seth McFarlane, Neil Grass Tyson, and Andrew Ian. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for coming. And Cosmos premieres in March 2019. Please watch. <laughs>